The following is a production by Cutting to the Chase Podcast. The best compliment that I've gotten is, I think one day I'm going to hear of you and I can say, you know, doing big things and I can say, I knew you went. I wanted to talk to you about your podcast, and it looks like you've been doing yours for quite a while as you've just eclipsed 100 episodes. Yes, I'm on episode 102. I got three shows coming up this week, so you know, depending on the length of them, I should be at 100, 105 or 106. Sometimes my guests are talkers, so I have to split them into parts because I'm, I'm live to tape, so that's the good thing about being live to tape. Yeah, I started this in when I was at Gotham Sports Network, actually, in 2017. Um, and the timing wasn't good. I had school going on. I was busy being an idiot teenager and, you know, doing all the stupid things that we do as teenagers that get yourself into binds. And unfortunately that kind of took its toll. And my first interview, my first two episodes, episode one was Mike Francesa, who I, you, if you're, you know, my Twitter handle gave it away. I used to call him a lot. That's how I got my name, so to speak. Um, so he was my first interview when he was retiring in air quotes the first time, but he pulled the Roger Clemens and came back four months later. And then I had Frank Isola from the New York Daily News, who uh, I'm, I, you know, I, who was an interesting get. I mean, he's just a weird guy. Him and I aren't on good terms. Really? He's just, he, he's, he's, he's very, I, I'm comfortable saying this because this is the only individual I'm not on good terms with. He's just a curmudgeon. And he's a, he's a baby. He's just very sensitive. Over, over. He's always looking at Twitter. He's that guy that's looking at Twitter. And I, I'm sure you've seen the tweets. You tweet something that, you know, neg- that he perceives as negative about him, he'll DM you. You know, and he'll create a whole fight with you. I'm just like, this is so unprofessional. So he could kick rocks. I don't care about him. But those were my first two episodes. And I did it for a while. It was interesting. And I tapped into a well, you know, one of the bigger interviews that I've done. Because my interests are sports, the news field, coming from a family of, of police officers and firefighters, you know, the fire service and law enforcement. I interviewed James O'Neill in 2018 who at the time was the sitting NYPD commissioner. So this is somebody who was leading the largest police department, and for my money, the greatest police department in the country and in the world. And I talked with him, and I thought to myself, you know, you can make something out of this. And college came up, and I said, okay. You know, my mom suggested to me, you know, you, you're doing a lot with this in college. How about you finish school first, and we'll revisit this later. So I thought about it. I wasn't making any money off of it. I was like, she's right. Let me just focus on college. Good decision. Graduated right before the pandemic. and. I, I, at the end of 2020, I was going to try to get a job, you know, after I graduated, but then coronavirus decided to enter our lives. And so I was sitting around, I was just like, you know, what do you think about me picking this up again and seeing how, where the road takes me? She says, I'm at it. So I did. And, uh, I decided to tap further into that law enforcement fire service world and get the stories of what it was like to be in the NYPD and, and be in these elite units, what it was like to be in the FDNY and be in these elite units. And that has put me over the top. That, I still do my sports interviews. I had Mike Richter on. I'm going to be having a few more sports individuals on soon. I recently had Mike Lubigon and Bob Ryan as well, which is great. I still do my news interviews. I have my news folks who are coming on um, soon. Um, and, and that's great. And there'll be more where that came from. But the, the police and fire interviews have become my bread and butter. Because, you know, these were the men and the women in the arena, so to speak. And I have multiple series. For example, I have one series I call Tales in the Boom Room, called, uh, which profiles retired members of the NYPD bomb squad. Imagine being in a bomb squad, putting on that really hot bomb suit, 
walking down the street to what might be your death, what goes through your mind. Some of the more notorious instances of terrorism in this country have happened in New York City, not just 9-11, the World Trade Center bombing of 1993. Uh, there was a pipe bomb plot against uh, the subways in Brooklyn in 1997. The men who investigated this, the men who stood in the way of what could have been disaster or caught those responsible for disaster. Let me talk to them. And what's great about that is between those interviews with somebody who was in a rescue unit of the FDNY and rappelled down a bridge or fought the worst fires you've seen in your life, talking to a homicide detective, talking to a counterterrorism specialist, a bomb squad specialist, it's not just the interviews. You know, they bear their soul um, so much that, you know, you form a friendship with them. And that's the best part of it. Just getting to be on a first name basis with some outstanding people. And also not to make it somber, but so many of these people have worked with individuals who've died in the line of duty, so many of whom died on 9-11, for example. And so they want to come on because they want to keep their friend's memory alive. And I'm all for that, you know, uh, and this, the stories that you hear of, of the bravery and not just the bravery they showed on that day, but who these heroes were before the rest of the world knew they were heroes, the funny things, the happy memories, you know, gives you a better glimpse into who they were. I love that too. And, and recently, you know, it, it hit me like a ton of bricks because I had John Miller on, you know, I, I want to tell this John Miller is the NYPD deputy commissioner of uh, both public affairs uh, and as well as um, intelligence and counterterrorism. And he was also, if you remember, a reporter for NBC and ABC. He's the last Westerner and only American to ever interview Osama bin Laden. And he was uh, on for what was my 100th episode, the big one, you know, the granddaddy of them all. And uh, I was asking him about that. And he talked about sitting, you know, mere, you know, feet from bin Laden. He could reach out and touch him in his compound as bin Laden has his assault rifle perched against the map and is talking about his involvement in prior attacks and talking about his hatred for America and talking about wanting to declare jihad. And you, just to hear that story and to feel the emotion through the screen, that's the part that I love. But he says something to me at the end, because John, you know, the reason he's with the NYPD is because he's made so many ins covering them over the years. You know, he talked about how we have all the same friends, which was cool. He says, I want to thank all your friends who are gone now. And I was, you know, when you're doing an interview, you don't really process these things because you're worried about so many other things. How does it look? How does it sound? Am I going to ask the right question? What's the logical follow-up? So when I watch it back, that's when I gain appreciation because I don't have to worry about that. My friends who are gone now, but then it clicked. You've, you never knew these heroes that have made the ultimate sacrifice, but you tell their story so much. You've got to know so much about them. They are your friends who are gone now. They are the friends that is the borrowed Pearl Jam line that you'll never know. And just to hear that from him and just somebody as high up in the world as him, it goes to show the importance of to keep doing what you're doing because you never know who's paying attention. And that's what I've enjoyed the most about it. I could have never envisioned getting to this point over a hundred shows, but I'm happy I've here. I'm happy I'm here. I've met a lot of great people. I've established a lot of great friendships and I've built up a comfortable following. YouTube's going great. I'm at 400 plus subscribers now. I, I want to keep growing that. The audio uh, subscription numbers have been pretty solid. And, you know, to be a 21-year-old guy um, just working out of a studio, if you will, which is my room here in Connecticut and not linked up with a major outlet, I've done pretty well for myself, I like to think. It's awesome to hear. I mean, you're 21, but you come off so polished and professional. And thank you. Uh, I don't know when we started following the other on Twitter, but... You know, I started noticing your pods, I think, a few months ago, and I was thinking he would be cool to talk to. And before we started recording today, I was already thinking that we might have some similarities in common 
whether sports or even just from the podcast perspective. And you said that you got started with Gotham Sports Network. Yeah, Gotham Sports Network. So how that started is I kept bugging them when, you know, we had a Slack chat. I'm sure they still have it, but I was just saying, um, give me a podcast, give me a podcast. I know I can do well with a podcast. I know, you know, and I was 17 and I, I, I've gotten a better sense of decorum now to not bug people as much, but I didn't have that. But you get older, you get wiser, right? So, you know, because I was writing and I love writing and my writing was getting better. They were teaching me some key lessons on how to be a better writer, but I knew that I could do, I don't have many gifts. I often like to joke, but I have to get the gap as you can probably detect. So I wanted a show and I was calling WFAN. I was, I don't, I don't say this to toot my own horn because it's not really a bragging right, but I say this in air quotes. I was at the height of my popularity as a WFAN caller. Uh, people knew who I was because of all the uh, hilarious interactions with Mike Francesa, mostly Mike just roasting the crap out of me. And my old editor in chief says to me one day, what if we give Mike a podcast? He says this in the Slack chat talk to the rest of the guys, I should say, what if we give Mike a podcast? And we call it Miked in New Haven, which is, you know, a wordplay on my F-A-N call, old F-A-N call-in name, M-I-C apostrophe D in New Haven. So you don't have to tell me twice. I went downstairs. I was in my room and I heard that I had just finished some homework for some class. And, you know, nobody was home. I looked and I recorded a demo and I sent it over to my old producer, Andrew Claudio. And he said, this is good. He gave me a couple of suggestions of the do's and don'ts. He says, get started on this. And I did. Um, I only did two episodes under their banner, Francesa and, uh, and Isola. And, you know, without going into detail, I had some personal problems come up that I had to take care of with my family and, and I had to leave, unfortunately. And I wish I could have stayed longer, but, you know, retrospect in hindsight, they say hindsight's 2020. It was the right decision to leave. Um, and I started doing it. I asked for permission first. I said to my old boss, Ethan Levy, who's a great guy. I said, E, can I, uh, if I resumed it on my own independently, would you guys be okay with that? He says, yeah, I just changed the logo and the, and the introduction because it was theirs. So I did. And I started doing it on my own. And, and yeah, that was the process. I mean, it's, it's all really just, again, it's, it's, it's the hustle, as I mentioned at the top of the show. Make that phone call. Send that email. Mention who you are. You know, And what's great now, having so many shows underneath my belt, is if there's somebody that the guest and I are, you know, if there's mutual friends the guest and I have, I mention them. You know, I mentioned, hey, I know this individual and here's my interviews with him or her. I send the link. I send my questions beforehand. I do my research. I ask them, is this right? I want to make sure I have this right and that right. So it's a constant process to where you're always thinking about your reputation and anything in life. You want to have a good reputation. Oh, this guy, he's a good cop. Using that as an example. He's a good fireman. He's a good writer. He's a good podcaster. You know, you, you and anytime somebody brings up your name, you want a smile and not scorn to come to their, to, to their face. You, you know, you want, you want them to speak positive, positively of you. And so that's the, you know, that's the uh, element to it. And, and uh, yeah, you know, do I think when I, for example, I, I reached out, oh, it was uh, to uh, NBC about Lester Holt, for example, can I interview Lester Holt? And they said, no, because uh, they said his schedule is crazy. I understand. And, but, you know, it, it's the point is to reach out. Wayne Gretzky once said you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. It could be that you can get that yes. You never know. Don't limit yourself to, eh, it's not going to happen. Fire away. I wanted to ask you, how did you get some of the guests that you've had on, like Bob Ryan, Mike Lupica, Mike Richter, U.S. Hockey Hall of Famer? Like, what's your process if you can kind of get into that a little bit? It depends. 
if it's, for example, the, the beauty of my police and fire interviews is that these guys and gals are retired. They can speak freely. It's just a white page search and a cold call. Voila, here's who I am. Here's what I want. Give me your email. I'll send you all the contact, uh, all the, uh, rather the Zoom link and uh, the questions I'm going to ask you. If you want to change the outline, change it. It's that simple. Uh, Mike Richter, he's not linked. I cold called him and he laughed about it. We were able to laugh about it um, because he's not affiliated with the Rangers organization. He's on his own. He runs his own business. He's his own guy. He comes to the garden here and there for events and whatnot. But is he linked with the organization as far as an official employee? No. So I could just call him. Let's make a schedule. I'll be patient. I'll wait it. I'll wait it out. And I did. I contacted him in February. He came on in May. Patience is also key. Uh, so when you're Mike Lubica, Mike Lubica can call his own shots. He's not, there's no PR process there. If you want to get a news writer or a sports writer, it's a walk in the park because you just hit up their email. Yeah, sure. I'll do it. There's no PR process with them. News is a pain in the neck. I do that to keep the door open because you never know. And obviously it doesn't hurt to know these people and, and have them on your show and establish a reputation. But if they're active, you know, it is some stations are good. For example, Channel 7 in New York is great. PIX 11 in New York is great. They don't care. Fox 5, same thing. They leave it up to the to the uh, person to decide for themselves. OK, listen, we're all adults here. It's your call. If you think it's shaky, then don't do it. If you think it's not shaky and it's legit, then do it. When you get to NBC and CBS, NBC nationally, not so much. It's It's weird. National PR, you have a better shot because... It wasn't that they said, no, he's not interested in this. It's, oh, no, his schedule is not good right now. It's jam-packed. But the lady said to me that I dealt with, keep doing what you're doing. I have your contact information. If something changes, I'm going to reach out to you. I really like what you're doing. That's on the national level. So who knows what can come of that? It's when you get down to the local level. I'm a news junkie. I grew up watching Channel 2. And, you know, I don't know if you, I, I know you're out in Virginia. I know you're a, a Chicago fan, but... The New York, if you have uh, members of your audience who are New Yorkers, they'll know the names Christine Johnson from Channel 2, uh, Darlene Rodriguez, uh, Maurice Dubois, all these, uh, you know, Chuck Scarborough, all these different names. You have a better chance of getting security clearance from the Pentagon than you do of interviewing any of those people because they're so strict. Channel 2 told me, listen, nothing against you, but unless your podcast is affiliated with CBS, we don't let our guests do that. Fine. At least you were honest. NBC is like pulling teeth to where I'm not going to name any names, but I always tell this story, not to put anybody down, but uh, to to make sure if there's any podcasters listening to this, don't do what I did and don't take it personally either. Because Channel 4, there's this uh, individual, I won't even say their gender, but they work at uh, they work as a traffic reporter for for Channel Four in New York, and they're they are also a feature reporter for one of the other news shows on NBC. And this individual is a, is a really great reporter. And I reached out about interviewing this particular individual a couple times in 2018. At the time, they told me no because of scheduling, we can't fit it in. So a couple years went by. And I reached out to a mutual friend of this individual and I said, hey, can you get me in touch with blankety blank and pass along my information? This individual says to me, my, my our mutual friend, sure. And so I reached out because uh, I hadn't heard anything. And I hit this, this person up on their personal email. Big no-no. Whenever you're taking gambles, never take it with news. If there's a PR system, let the PR know first. And obviously, let them know who you are, who you've interviewed previously, and that breaks the ice, and you have somewhat of a shot to get your foot in the door. 
um, do it, do the, do it the right way. So anytime you're dealing with a news agency, that's advice to all the podcasters out there. Find, don't find the individual you want his email or contact information. Find the PR person first. That's the right way to do it. And I didn't do the right thing here. And I regret that because I didn't know who the PR person was at the time because the person I had previously dealt with left for the WWE. So I emailed this individual in their personal email and they got back to me and they eviscerated me. And this was the most humiliating experience I've ever had on a professional level. You know, I got called grossly unprofessional. I got called intrusive. I got called, you know, I got told basically um, that you shouldn't have other people reach out on your behalf. Uh, and this person remembered, I guess, and was really pissed off about how I reached out the first time and just leveled me, put me in a pack in this uh, email exchange. And so I was felt awful. I apologized. And I said, listen, you know, I went up and down the line, you know, talking about how I didn't mean to do this. I didn't mean to do that. And they had said in their email, all requests need to go through this person. So I said, I'm really sorry. I hope you don't hold this against me. And they said, don't feel terrible. You're still learning. How could I not feel terrible? You just, uh, you know, roasted the crap out of me. But months, months after that, I, I'm sorry, I'm babbling here again, but I reached out about, you know, uh, a, a column I was writing about being a reporter during COVID. I sent all my questions over. I had other reporters who were ended up being featured in the column because it was just more than one. It ended up being four. I said, here are the individuals I'm going to have in this column. I got to know. I wanted to interview the legendary Bruce Beck, who's a, a New York broadcasting you know, royalty for sports for years. I got to know. And I got to the point where I, I said this to my, my friend from NBC, who's a correspondent for the Today Show. I said, it doesn't seem to matter what I want to pitch them on. They're just going to say no. So I'm going to stop wasting my time. And that's the point to where you know, the, the, the PR, I understand the position they're in. They don't want to put their talent in bad spots. They don't know who you are, especially if you're not linked up with the major outlet and you don't have that cachet of saying, I'm with the New York Times. I'm with uh, CNBC. I'm with the New York uh, Daily News or Newsday, just using the papers I know. If you don't have that cachet, if you're not a Joe Rogan or Adam Carolla level podcaster, um, their chances are they're going to tell you no. Uh, at some of these agencies. So that's, that's the one thing, just if you're, it depends. So it's a long way of saying that it depends on who you're dealing with. If the, if this person's not linked up with anything particular, do a white pages search, uh, find them. If they are go to the PR first. And, and, you know, even if it's something that is relatively quick and painless because they're agreeable to coming on, you just want to make sure that every T is crossed and every I dotted because that experience taught me, if you don't, you know, you, you pay the price. I have a few mini series for my podcast, as I mentioned earlier. Another one is the E-Men inside the NYPD's emergency service unit. You know, these are like the green berets of the NYPD. They're the ones that you see when somebody is, is threatening to jump off the Brooklyn Bridge. They're the guys going up there, taking that person down before they do it. So these, this is an incredible unit. And the fellow I had by the name, a fellow that I had on is a fellow by the name of Ken Winkler, great guy. Ken Winkler, to give you a brief synopsis of who he is, was at the Trade Center on 9-11. He responded with ESU, and they lost 14 of their members that day, sadly. But when the South Tower collapsed, he was standing outside at the command post, and he immediately got on the radio and said to his colleagues who were rescuing people in the North Tower, get out. He saved their lives. They escaped before the other tower came down. So people know who he is. He's a hero. He's a very humble guy, I'll never tell you, but he's the unsung hero of that day. I put that out there. I'm having Kenny Winkler on for this miniseries. 42 likes, four reshares. You know, it's just tag the person too, um, and constantly just, as I said, stay active, um, and, and have it be genuine. Don't just have it be, I'm building towards, I want to have you on my show. 
uh, you know, be sincere about it to where even after you've had them on your show, still like their stuff, still comment. That way they don't see that, oh, he was just using me just to get me on his podcast. It's all about that rapport and that network because you do enough favors for people. Believe me, you know, whatever we put out there, the consequences of our actions can be good or bad. I've had instances and I've experiences. I've done right by people. They've turned around. They've done right by me. This is why I like doing this because it's always cool to hear what other people, other podcasters like you are doing. You have a really cool story and I've had fun listening to what you've been talking about and what you're doing and what your process is. And it's given me things to think about, maybe things that I can either implement or, you know, I'm learning from you. So that's why I like doing this because when I first started, I thought my biggest problem would be getting people on and really my that hasn't really been a problem at all. It's really just been, you know, I knew that I couldn't always have maybe like a a sports writer on TV or a a broadcaster always on, but that's why I like to expand and talk with fellow podcasters and writers like you because everybody's got a story. I was also curious, and I don't have to include this, but do you work currently or are you trying to get into media or what are you trying to do? Oh, you can include this. Yeah, I do work currently. This is, that's fine. Uh, I'm an open book. I work uh, for my for my buddy Bill Cannon. Uh, shout out to him. He's a retired NYPD sergeant. He hosts a podcast called Police Off the Cuff with another retired detective from the Queens Warrant Squad. And again, just putting my work out there, I interviewed him. I interviewed the uh, his co-host Mark DeMeo, and uh, constantly being active and and uh, you know building my audience on YouTube the old school way. Sometimes it's word of mouth that goes around and that really helps you too. Word of mouth is a big help and it was a help for me to where he reached out and says, do you want to work for us helping us out with uh, booking guests and handling merchandise? I said, yeah. And I'm getting paid 25 nice. an hour part time uh, to do it. So I can, I, if I want to log uh, a six hour work week uh, or work day, I just made uh 150 bucks you know and is it gonna help me pay the bills if i was living alone no but for a 21 year old guy who's living at home trying to help his mom out it's a great position to be in until i'm ready to save up which i'm doing right now to eventually go out on my own so it took me a while the pandemic was rough to find the job in which is why it was important that i grinded and got my name out there as much as possible but it helped because now i finally have a job the money for a bachelor living at home is good and you know, I, I feel like I'm set. I feel like I have not validation. I don't think that's the right way to that's the right way to word it. But you have that. I don't think fulfillment is either. But uh, you you have stability. I once had John Vincent, the anthem singer. He does the national anthem for the Cubs and other teams, and he's a musician. But I had him on, and I just assumed going into it, it was going to be like a 30, 40 minute podcast, and that's you know generally around the ballpark of what we do and uh, what I do. And I remember going into it. I usually like to do these on a weekend or, you know, the end of a work day. But uh, the time that we agreed upon was basically a middle of the day. So I was thinking, okay, I can do it during my lunch. And I figured, you know, 30, 40 minutes. But I realized fast that, you know, he was a talker. And I thought that was awesome because I didn't really know him at all. And I just had my general questions I was going to bring up. But uh, or my topics, but we were talking and I realized fast that this was not going to be a fast thing, but that was really cool because he was a deep conversationalist. And I, it was probably one of the, one of the deeper conversations I've had with anybody. 
and we talked sports and beyond sports, but we ended up talking for probably three hours across two days. And yeah, it was, it was really awesome. And, you know, he's somebody that I feel like I made a friend with that I could contact. I could text him if I, you know, if I want to, and we can talk. And he said, you know, when you're in Chicago to let him know, and I will, because I thought that would be cool. With your podcast, you uh, edit and put everything together yourself, right? Yeah. No, I edit. I, I'm a one-man band. I'm the researcher, editor, producer, uh, you know, uh, curator, and of course the host. So it's it's rewarding though. It, it you know because it's it's when people say, "Oh, you've done all this work," and you know, you're you're doing this, you're doing that, and you're doing so well. It's all me. It's uh, and I'm not saying that braggadociously, but you take pride in what you do. So I'm I'm a one man show. But it's good that you said that because I like that when you were talking about you know somebody being a talker. You want that for this kind of setting. For a 15 minute radio hit, it's not so good because you can't hit on everything. But in this kind of interview where there's no time limit, so to speak, it's great because the way I I said this the other day, the show has my name on it, right? Show has your name on it. Cutting to the chase. It's your last name. My show, Mike in New Haven with Mike Cologne. But like, you know, and I, and I love Mike Francesa, but he used to kill me when he would have these people on. Cause if you remember, he'd talk over them. It's almost like he was interviewing himself and they would make me want to pull my hair out. Cause it's just like, you know, let them talk. If they're talking great, it's their story. They're giving you the time. I say you generally speaking, if they're going to give you the time and take time out of their busy schedule, time that they could be spending with their family or doing something for work to talk to you. Who am I to sit back and, and, and talk over them and make it about me? So my best you know, asset in an interview, and people say, oh, you're a great interviewer. I really don't think I am. I think my best asset is to just sit back and just do this. I'm silent. Tell your story. It's your story. You tell it how you see fit. And when you're done, you're done, and I'll move it along. But it's your time. And I think that resonates with people because you can truly – learn the bare bones of who they are and really as you said make that friendship make that connection and i feel that with these people and you know especially with my retired police and and fire friends they tell me the reason why they love it so much is because they feel like these stories it's a legacy thing for their families down the road if something happens to them you know and unfortunately we see a lot of these first responders getting sick from ground zero um, and thankfully that hasn't hit my friends at a severe angle or a severe level, I should say yet. And I hope it doesn't, but if something happens to them, it's there. And, and they, you know, and, and because they were able to come on and tell everything. And I think that's a good thing about it, that, that what you do. And I'm glad you mentioned that. Let the guests talk because it's their, it's their time. It's their, it's their moment. You come across really smooth and professional, and it's really cool that you've accomplished all that you have to this point. You're just 21. I mean, the sky is the limit for you, and I see big things with you. But you know, I th- I got into this randomly. I never could have thought I would be doing what I'm doing with this. And you've already reached these highs, and you're going beyond that. So just keep doing it. I appreciate that. I hope that I can get there. Um, and you know, it, it's it's been a lot of fun to do. And and I guess it's it's as what you mentioned earlier. It's just staying humble. Let other people tell you you're great. Don't say you're great you know, and, and let that come to you and to get those compliments. Like after I did my 100th episode, the feedback was so great. And the feedback is always generally pretty good on these episodes, but you know, it's what you get off the se- uh, behind the scenes, you know, off there that really validates what you're doing. And the key is to keep pushing. Cause like we said earlier, you never know 
who's observing you. And people, you'll, you will find, um, because you're still a relatively young guy, and obviously I'm young, people will want to help you. As I said earlier, they'll do right by you. If they see that you've got something special and that you're cooking with, with some gas, so to speak, they will go out of their way to help you, you know? And look at this, look at, uh, to, to tie the bow on the story I mentioned earlier about getting berated by this individual at NBC, the mutual friend that that person and I both share, and, and, and that mutual friend is such a sweet individual and, and uh, will hopefully be on my show soon. Uh, we're just working out the schedule. Says to me, do you want to go to lunch? And I said, yeah, well, the mutual friend is a female. So I said, just make sure you bring along somebody else, because even though this, this individual is 20 years my senior and a married woman of, you know, with two daughters, I don't want it to look a certain way. So she says, how about, okay. So we talk a few days after that. And she says, uh, how about this person? It's the same person that crapped on me previously. Now, I don't know why this person's uh, coming to the, to the lunch. I, I hope that we could get on a better note. But maybe they saw my work and said, oh, wait a minute. And this could be a self-serving purpose. I don't know. I'll see when I get there. Um, oh, they, oh, maybe they saw my work and said, oh, he's legit. You know, it could be that. I'm not, I'm not tooting my own horn when I say that. Oh, he's, he's not some crock. You know, he's put in a good body of work. He's uh, talked to these people. He shares some of the same friends that I share. Uh, and he's on a first name basis with them. So, you know, it's like I said, it's all about that network building to where the more, you, you know, work you put out there, the more you do. I mean, it's not even that. It's message, not just messaging people while coming on your show. It's messaging them your work. I interviewed this person. I want your feedback. You know, I know you're busy. You can get to it whenever you can, but I want to send it to you. You know, it's even things like that that go such a long way to where eventually people are going to know your name on a wider level. And I've the, the best compliment that I've gotten is I think one day I'm going to hear of you and I can say, you know, doing big things and I can say, I knew you went, you know, just to hear that now it's, it's, it's great. But the key again is humility. I don't want to toot my chest and say, how could you say no to me? I've interviewed so-and-so or look at me. I've done this. No, just work at it. You don't make the show. Your guests do. That's what I try to remind myself. Mike, it was great to have you on. Mike in New Haven on Twitter. Check him out. Thank you for bringing me on. It's not often that I'm the guest. It's not often that the interviewer is the interviewee, but uh, I appreciate you uh, interviewing me, and I'd be happy to do this again. Three, two, one, zero, zero.